Welcome to the Tainted Dragon Inn. I'm your host, Paul A. Stefano. This episode will be On the Table, which are lore stories for the in-game world played by the characters in the Emergent Campaign series of books. Audio effects provided by Sirenscape and Black Stiletto. You can find us online at www.tainteddragonin.com, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Today's episode, Knock Knock. A glove of hardened leather clamped down on the young girl's wrist. She looks up. The man is not looking at her. Dark leather, covered in crisscrossing straps and buckles, possibly workmen's clothes, possibly armor, cover him toe to neck. His bald head glistens in the evening marketplace torchlight. Strange small glasses clip to his sharp nose. He does not look at her when she struggles. He is not with the town guard. An onion roll, an orange, a sugar bun, and two jerky sticks, the man tallies, still not looking down to her, but rather watching the marketplace crowd so they don't cause any trouble. He holds her wrist tight by his thigh, fingers still in his pocket. Quite an impressive haul, little missy, but my pocket, no, not for you. She shakes hair from her dark eyes, staring up at him angrily. I'm not going to report you, no. You earned those with your skill. What are you? Nine? Maybe ten. Excellent work. Impressive? You self-taught, or did Big Brother teach you how to bump into things like that? Not talking. Understood, little missy. Understood. Now, I would like to let you go. I really and truly would. But I think we should have a little chat. Why should I? The little girl hisses at her captor. Hey, look at that. She speaks. Because, little missy, if you don't do as I say, we're about ten paces from a guard who would be quite happy to find your pockets full of dinner. And that's only what I saw until I bumped into you. What? Yes, I baited you. I wanted to see if you were the kind of girl who would actually stick her hand in a man's pocket. And look at that. You are. Capital. Capital, I say. Now, when I let go, you and me, we're going to walk over to that cart. I am going to buy you a cinnamon orange juice. And you are going to listen to me. Or I empty your pockets for the guard. Am I being clear? Yes. We have come to an agreement, then. Have we, little missy? She sniffs and looks away. She then looks to her wrist, his hand firmly around it. 
Yes. He lets go, holding his hand over her wrist, ready to catch her if she runs. She takes her hand from his side. She does not give him the satisfaction of rubbing her reddened wrist. He finally looks to her through tiny-rimmed circular glasses. It is now she sees one of his eyes is half-closed, perhaps by an old scar or wound. Very good, then, he smiles, showing a smile where only one tooth is missing. Come on, pup-pup. They work their way across the fountain square to a cart on the other side where a man pours another orange juice from an overly decorated pitcher. One cinnamon for the puppet, the man says with a polite smile, reaching his hand into his pocket where her fingers were moments before. With raspberry, she adds. The man looks down and smiles, one eyebrow raised in amusement. Yes, with raspberry, as she says. After paying for her drink, he leads her to a stone bench behind a circle of merchants. Name, he asks. She sips and looks at him. Well, I, I can't just call you Poppet, little missy. Wipe your chin. If you're not going to tell me your name, at least tell me what I can call you. You first. He chuckles. <laughs> first the raspberry, now me first. You are an aggressive negotiator, little missy. All right, then. If that's the way you want to play it, no harm done. My name is Tenebris. Mr. Tenebris Knock. She holds the small wooden cup in both hands, shaking in front of her. She swallows. Her words are barely above a whisper. You're the knock-knock man. He sighs and runs his hand over his bald scalp. My reputation precedes me, I see. That's me, yeah. The knock-knock man. Wasn't my choice, but that's the name they hung on me. Oh, don't look at me like that. I'm not going to hurt you. And I guarantee half of the things you've heard aren't anything but fool, minstrel folk tales. But I let them talk. Makes me sound quite powerful. Now, little missy, deal's a deal. Name, puppet. Ayla, she says, cringing. Oops. You told me your real name, didn't you? Would you like me to forget that? So you can come up with a new one? She nods. No one ever said the knock-knock man wasn't generous. Let's try again. What's your name, little girl? She thinks. Finch! He nods and smiles. Finch, 
Yeah, that right fits, doesn't it? <laughs> Finch. Can you walk through walls? She says after a sip. He laughs. No, Finch. I, I cannot. But... But? She asks. He looks down at her, his one limp eyelid twitching. You can. No, I can't. He shrugs. I, I just saw a girl prance through Argane Market Square, totally invisible. And by some magic, some wonderful weaving of arcane ways, she procured an onion roll, an orange, a sugar bun, and two jerky sticks. You tell me, that wasn't magic, that no one even looked your way. It wasn't. He smiles. Neither is walking through walls, Finch. How did you do it, then? She shrugs. I don't have a mum or dad. I had to learn. And right well you did, Poppet, right well you did. It's a special skill to move like a shadow. That's the magic I need. You're very good. You're very, very good. I would like to use your skill. Would you like that? Will you feed me? Again! He slaps his knee. The little negotiator. Wonderful. That's right and wonderful, then. Well, well, how about this? You come to work for the knock-knock man. And to start, I hand you two silver moon per week. And if I don't? She asks. Well, for one, I would be most sad, most sad indeed, I would, for two. We never met. You never say my name. You never see me. And all is past, like butterfly wings. But if you come work for me, well, then you always work for me. Always. And if I stop? He leans back to look at the dark silhouette of a nighttime bird passing overhead. He picks up a small stone from the base of the bench and flicks his wrist. After a brief blur in the torchlight, the bird falls just behind them. Knock, knock, he says simply. Oh, she nods. Now, that's no threat, little Finch. Choice is yours. You want out. You just walk away right now. But you work for me. That's 
for Emma. Can I ask a question? I don't see what harm that would be. Go right on ahead, then. Why me? She asks, looking up into his eyes. I'm just a little girl. You followed me all night and then trapped me. Why me? He smiles. Because no one saw you. There's dozens of pickpockets wandering our game. I'm just a girl. He breathes heavily and looks at her. Because you're remarkable, Ayla Finch. And you're small. And I need to walk through a wall. I'm small enough to fit someplace through some wall. You can't. And steal something you can't. As I said, remarkable. You're quite the wit, aren't you, little finch? You have outwitted the knock-knock himself. Yes, you've got me dead on bullseye, haven't you? I need you to walk through a wall for me. Three, and I won't always be the small. What happens when I get too big? Three? Three silver moon per week, and some of what I take? And what happens when I get too big? Two, and then you help me with other things when I come asking. Three! Two, and a corner of a room where some of my friends sleep. She fidgets. They won't touch you, Poppet. I won't let them. Knock, knock, and all that. Fair's fair, and it seems a fairer deal than you've been dealt, don't it? The bargain struck. She shakes his gloved hand. Two days later, as agreed, she waits just inside the gates of Argain, playing with a stray dog. She doesn't see him approach, although she has been watching. His hand touches her shoulder, and she turns. Knock, knock, he smiles. Didn't mean to startle you. Old habits and all that. Come, you have to meet the friend. I've met your friends in the room. They don't smell good. You get no argument from me, little Finch. He nods, leading her on. None of them touch you, did they? She shakes her head, following his startlingly long strides. After several blocks, he turns up an alley and raps precisely on a wooden door. Knock, knock, he says with a grin. The door opens to a man with a dark red shirt and a horribly scarred face. Socks! I've your partner for your next job. May I present Miss Finch? She looks at him, unimpressed. 
carefully hiding her reaction to his face, which looks like the uneven crust of an apple pie when the apples were cut too large. Socks looks uncertainly to the knock-knock man and leads them to a single well-furnished room, lit by a bright lantern on the wall as there are no windows to let in the afternoon sun. You sure? Socks asks in a voice as torn as his face. Finch? Knox smiles, as discussed. Show him. He's sure, she says, letting Socks' coin pouch dangle from her finger. The man rapidly snatches it back. All right, all right, Socks snarls. Enough play. Plan? Why Socks? Ayla asks. Why Finch? Socks snaps back. I'm tiny, she answers. And people don't pay any attention to me. Show her, Knock implores. Socks rubs an unshaven chin and sits at the table in the center of the room. He yanks off a leather shoe and the bright red sock underneath, revealing he has no toes. Ew! Ayla says, her nose scrunching. Really show her, Nock continues. Socks looks, pulls off his other sock and shoe, looking uncertainly to Nock. He stands and walks to the wall. He puts his foot to the wall, then the other, and stands on the wall, looking at Ayla Finch, her mouth open. That is magic, she says. That is, Nock nods, and quite a useful magic. The toes were a small price to pay. Shoes on, Socks. Let's talk plans. Three days later, there is no moon. The sky is dark and overcast. Ayla moves quickly through the well-kept part of Argain, where the nobles and high merchants tend to live, and there are no stray dogs to bark and notice her. She pulls a hood tight against the chill wind, in case anyone does happen to wander outside. But she doesn't think they will. The past two nights she spent watching, no one ever did, except one drunken, well-dressed man and a half-dressed woman one time. The houses here are not cheap, made of white stone covered in clinging vines. Some of them actually have bathrooms on the inside, which Ayla finds fairly repulsive. Big tunnels carry the waste out to the river, or to drop into deep trenches under the city. Except tonight, the tunnels will carry a little girl inside. The round opening she approaches is a vent in a side wall that hides one of these waste sluices from the population. She approaches and whistles once. Two whistles reply. 
Looking into the hole, only a few feet across, she can see it is a sheer drop, not a floor, and she can hear water moving far below. That might even be why the houses were built here. The river is swift and some distance below, with no smell betraying its use. She gets to the circular opening and steps in, reaching her hands up as she does, and she closes her eyes. She does not drop when she steps through. Socks grabs her wrists. She looks up to see him hanging, bat-like, from the ceiling. He nods and winks. She nods back. And he walks, upside down, over the hidden sewage river under Argain, tightly holding a very small girl as he turns at the passage he scouted earlier, just as Nock's map indicated. The map proved to be worth the price. He steps strangely, feet adhering and being pulled free repeatedly, but without any sound at all. He stops, looks down, and nods. Ayla nods in reply. She climbs up Sock's torso and finds herself in a drop tube under a bathroom. It is narrow enough that she can brace her back against one side and rather awkwardly walk her feet up the opposite side in a seated position, not nearly as graceful as Sock's wall-walking gait. She whistles, and Sock's whistles twice in reply. It is uncomfortable, but in under a minute, she finds she can reach the circular opening above and pulls through. Knock, knock, she whispers, pulling herself up in the stone bathroom. If Knock's information is correct, which she has no reason at all to doubt, there are no people in the house. Since Turian baldhounds have retractable claws, she does not hear it slinking behind her as she makes her way up the wide hallway. She does hear when one of its breaths grunts, a strange, almost laughing noise. <laughs> when she turns, she can barely make out the pale sand-colored skin of the dog. The bare teeth stand out slightly more prominently. It is nearly eye to eye with her, an intimidating mass of muscle. When it lunges, she jumps onto a chair in the hallway and up to the wrought iron candle fixture attached to the ceiling. The hound gnashes its teeth and leaps, but cannot reach her legs as she has curled them tightly up. Dust falls onto Ayla's sweating neck. She looks up and sees the claywork ceiling starting to crack, unable to hold her weight as she grasps the candle holder. She works her hand into her pockets. She feels the lock picks Nock gave her, some twine, and then the soft, wet cube. Good boy, she says, as the lamp drops slightly, losing its hold to the ceiling. She tosses the meat in front of the dog. Please be hungry. As the dog chews, she drops herself back down, landing to the chair on the side, and wonders why there is a chair in the hallway. She runs to the second door before the dog finishes chewing. 
The hound was expected. Its size was not. Nox said it would be around, and gave her three small uncooked cubes of beef. She opens the door, quickly slips in, and wedges a chair under the doorknob to keep the guard beast on the other side. She looks around the room and pulls a thick leather-wrapped stick from the side of her shoe. Pulling off the leather, it glows, dimly lighting the fine bedroom. There is a single window, which Socks should be standing right under. She scans the room. A large green velvet cape, lined with ermine, exactly as Knox said, hangs from a peg by the bed. She runs her hand up and down the incredibly soft cloth. A bulge. She pulls her short knife and splits the lining open. Bullseye! She smiles as the solid black orb drops into her palm. She goes to the small window and whistles. The two-whistle reply comes back. She holds her arm out and drops the orb. Her exit will be the front door, easily unlocked from the inside. If she is caught exiting the home, she has nothing of value on her. And after a night in a cell, they will let her free. As she starts to head back to throw another meat cube and dash to the front door, a sparkle from her light stick catches her eye. On the dresser, there is an elaborately carved olive branch. Hanging from it, a faceted black pendant, as brightly shining as a night star, shaped like a teardrop, a delicate filigree work around the edges, suspended on a thick silver woven wire. Oh, that has to be mine, she smiles. She heads across the room and lifts the necklace from the branch. Click. She flinches, not knowing what she has triggered. Like Knox, all too easy pocket, she took the obvious bait. Iron bars slap loudly in the window, and she can hear a lock turn at the door. She runs to the tiny window to test the bars, unsurprised that they do not move. She pulls the chair from the door and tugs. As she feared, it is somehow barred shut. She whistles. Again, she rushes to the window and whistles. No reply. Socks, I'm trapped, she says. Socks! Socks! Best of luck, Finch! She hears him laughing uproariously as he runs up the block. Sound of regular shoes on his feet again. Nock looks up from his mug of ale. There! Socks says, rolling the orb across the tavern table to Nock, who grins appreciatively. No one can see the small single-table side room, and showing the spoils doesn't alarm him. He takes a seat across from Nock, awaiting payment. The girl! 
Nock asks again. They didn't make it. Sock says, shaking his head. She never came out. You waited. Nock asks. Half hour, just like you said. Nock sighs. And she had such potential, she did. Pity. You smell something? Nock asks in disgust. Yeah, smells like... Socks starts. His voice is cut off when the gleaming wire wraps around his neck pulled tight. Ayla stands behind him, holding the pendant and twisting the cord tighter. Smells like a girl who swam a mile in sewage! Ayla hisses. Did you know that in some of the really rich houses, they have bathrooms in the bedroom? Can you imagine that? How much money do you have to have to have two bathrooms actually inside your house? Knock casually sips his ale and watches Sock's eyes bulge as his face reddens. You said you waited for her, Socks. Did you lie to the knock-knock man? I cannot say I am anything but disappointed. Ayla nods as Socks tries to get his fingers around the wire to pry free. She puts her knees to the chair back and leans with all her weight, suspended against the chair, holding the wire and tugging, looking so much like Socks was supposed to be clinging to a wall outside, keeping watch and ready to snatch her up if the hound followed. After Socks finally stops struggling, Ayla lets him drop forward, his head slamming harshly to the table. Nock sips and looks to her. Socks slowly slides sideways from the chair to crumple to the floor. Nock indicates her to take his seat. Sorry about that. Nock sighs. Socks wasn't always the most trustworthy, but this was unconscionable. You're just a young girl. Sorry about what I did to him. Ayla pants. <laughs> Don't be. He deserved it. Went off plan. I'm sorry, you can't have his share. Rules are, that goes to get him out of here and vanished. Lock raps on the table twice, and an old woman rushes in. She looks and sees the body, unstartled. She shouts commands up the hall. Two large, dark men come wordlessly in and pull Socks from the room. Would you? Nock asks, indicating Ayla is to hand the woman several coins he has passed across the table. 
the woman takes the payment from the girl and vanishes up the hall. But this, Ayla says, dropping the pendant on around her own neck. I want this. Pretty, Nock nods in approval. Yours, I suppose. Well done. Thanks. No, Finch, he says, raising his glass and toast. Thank you. joining us at the Tainted Dragon Inn for this episode of On the Table, where we reveal additional background lore and stories related to the game played by the characters in the Emergent Campaign series of novels. Audio effects provided by Sirenscape and Black Stiletto. You can find us online at www.taintedragoninn.com, on Instagram, and on Facebook. As always, this is Paul A. Di Stefano. See you soon. Farewell and fair journeys.